All right, we are back. Let's do some science. Um, we sometimes do obituaries in our third segment, and we have a few piled up, but those are going to be deferred as well, except I do want to note what the New York Times had to say about the late Momofuko Ando, the man who invented Top Ramen. Said the New York Times about the late Mr. Ando, his place in culinary history is secure. Teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. Give him ramen noodles, and you don't have to teach him anything. And this would be a good place to insert this little item out of New Scientist magazine. One of their correspondents noted that written on the label of a bottle of Bateman's Autumn Fall Multigrain Beer was the following. As it contains no fish-based finings, those are substances used for clarifying liquid, it is vegan-friendly, ideal as an accompaniment to traditional pies and spicy Lincolnshire sausages. Which causes the reader to ask, which part of the word vegan do they not understand? There was a curious article a couple days back about, uh, well, this is actually where the field of legal slash stupidity meets science. Defense attorneys are trying to get every criminal a brain scan so they can find some abnormality that they can say, well, you see, he's not responsible. He's got a medical condition. And we are going to talk more in the future about the pseudoscience involved with uh, death penalty opponents trying to claim that uh, people that get lethal injections might be suffering. This whole debate will allow about, you know, a jillion billable hours for uh, California's defense attorneys. I just wanted to note, before we fully delve into science, the article by Christina Jewett in The Bee, noting that Kathleen Colhane, a defense investigator, had fabricated dozens of statements from jurors and others in her quest to overturn death penalty sentences, according to lawyers for the Attorney General's office. Colhane was, in fact, cited for 23 false declarations submitted in four death penalty cases. I just find it curious that among the cases Colhane worked on were the... Uh, Case of Michael Morales, when she was working for Los Angeles attorney David Sr. and Kenneth Starr, the attorney who investigated former President Bill Clinton's relationship with Monica Lewinsky. The article did note that prosecutors said they'd seen no indication that the defense attorneys knew about Colhane's alleged forgeries. But in other areas where dubious claims meet science, we have a Sacramento News and Review uh, article they did titled Scientology Does Detox. Now it so happens that this correspondent is in a bit of a unique position. I know people who have done Scientology's purification rundown, dating back to my days as a student in Davis. I can offer my professional medical opinion that it is mostly a bunch of hot air. Someone named Alton Rich wrote the News and Review after that article appeared, noting that the claims made by the doctor, Dr. David Root, who was quoted in the article, uh, the claims he is making about the Scientology purification rundown, which is part of the religious practices of the Church of Scientology, have not been proven by any reputable clinical trial or study and can be dangerous to anyone not healthy enough to withstand long periods of exposure to the high temperatures of Rasana or who may have actually come in contact with a caustic chemical. He concluded by noting this treatment is all part of the pipe dream of the deluded mind of science fiction writer and all-round con artist L. Ron Hubbard. Now, oddly enough, somewhere in my uh, VCR files, I had a tape which was, was recording something else, but I managed to, to tack on at the end of it by accident an interview they did on one of the Sacramento uh, TV stations back in the 80s with the guy that invented the purification rundown. 
He was a local guy. He worked in the Church of Scientology. Hubbard took a liking to what he had done and decided to make it uh, part of what everyone should do to supposedly clean the drugs out of your system. He had sort of a laughing attitude about it, like, hey, I'm glad Hubbard liked it. Well, as we've talked about in this program before, uh, not all vitamins are harmless. Uh, certain vitamins, the fat-soluble vitamins, A, D, E, and K, are not, uh, not the type that you can just excrete in your urine. I don't know the details of this detoxification process, but uh, I understand that vitamin A is a part of it, and that, uh, that should, one needs to be cautious. I remember also they gave people some whopping doses of niacin, which is a vasodilator, which, uh, which had interesting effects on people as they underwent this, uh, you know, menopausal-style major hot flash. And I can't help, uh, I can't help but uh, mentioning uh, one area where science, uh, the science seems dubious. Once again, string theory. Well, and again, I want to quote Lee Smolin of Canada's Perimeter Institute in Waterloo, Ontario along with Peter Woid of Columbia University, who noted that after all these years, string theory, with its umpteen dimensions of space-time, still hasn't produced any testable predictions, which causes them to note that it's not really physics, it's just mathematics. On the other hand, we were completely enchanted by an essay in New Scientist magazine by Ed Belbruno, a mathematician at Princeton University, who has a book out titled Fly Me to the Moon. Turns out that uh, Mr. Belbruno, or I guess it's Dr. Belbruno, after a spell as a mathematician at Boston University, went to work at NASA's JPL in Pasadena. He was designing trajectories from the Earth to Jupiter for the Galileo spacecraft. Uh, while working at JPL, which he thought was pretty exciting, he got interested in applying chaos theory to the design of spacecraft trajectories and, and wanted to find a way for vehicles to go from the Earth to the Moon without using rocket engines to achieve lunar orbit. By doing so, you save lots of fuel and lots of money, and, uh, well, no one had ever shown that it could be done, so he set to work to see what he could come up with. And by early 1986, he found such a route, which he called the Lunar Getaway Special. <laughs> There's some problems, though. I mean, the Apollo astronauts got to the moon in three days using rockets. The journey using this method uh, would take two years. His colleagues uh, thought it was all a waste of time, and his, you know, big breakthrough was pretty much ignored. And then to make it worse, in January of 1990, they fired him. He said, the feeling, said my boss, when he called me into his office, was that my ideas would never be useful. He kind of took it pretty hard. He sort of felt that to get his life back together, he needed to let go of the notion that he was stupid and he had nothing to prove to anyone. But here's the part I love. Not long afterward, he got a knock on his door, and it was an engineer telling him about a Japanese lunar spacecraft that was stuck in Earth orbit with very little fuel left. He asked if he could save it. said by the next day he'd devised a new route to the moon based on his ideas. The craft was called Hyten. They worked it out, and a year later, using what little fuel they had, they started it out on its plotted path. And in October of 1991, it arrived at the moon, a mission that had been considered impossible just a few months earlier. He noted in closing, I never got my job back at JPL, but some years later, the importance of my work was formally acknowledged by NASA. Yay! All right, and speaking of really, really cool stuff from NASA, which we weren't, but we are now, the Cassini mission currently in orbit around Saturn and its satellites uh, made a buzz run, uh, kind of kind of swooped past um, Saturn's giant moon Titan, 
and applied its radar to peering through Titan's thick, smoggy atmosphere to see what the surface held. And the radar images they got are pretty stunning. They've suspected for some time that there would be liquid uh, ethane or methane on the surface of Titan and it might form uh, seas, and they've now found them. Well, if, if not seas, they've at least found very large lakes of hydrocarbons. We would refer you to the Planetary Society's website article by Amir Alexander, a previous Radio Parallax guest, which shows an image of a very large lake uh, near Titan's pole and has its image set aside that of Lake Superior. The lake on Titan is bigger. If you haven't seen this, you, you really need to do so. It's got Lake Superior, which 82,000 square kilometers of water, set aside this yet uh, unnamed lake on Titan of about 100,000 square kilometers of some combination of ethane and methane. And even though this large body of liquid uh, you know, is, is not water, this alien sea looks a lot like its counterparts here on Earth. It's got rivers that are plowing into it. It's got floodplains. It's got coastal islands. It's got straits. It's got channels. It's very cool. I tell you, when you see this kind of thing, it makes you realize what exciting times we live in, in a good way. And as far as cool science goes, we have a final item uh, from right here at UC Davis. According to Jason DeLong, Assistant Professor of Civil and Environmental Engineering here at UCD, scientists have coaxed a common soil bacteria into strengthening the ground it lives in, which raises the prospect of new construction techniques for stabilizing slopes or reducing earthquake damage. Scientists here at Davis have started with some loose, sandy soil and basically replicated that process that forms sandstone. Of course, they've, they've sped the process up uh, considerably. The process works by using some heavy equipment to inject a solution that has some nutrients, uh, some calcium, and some microbes, which supplements the existing microbe population, sticking it down into some loose, sandy soil. And as the microbes flourish, they release carbon dioxide gas, the uh, CO2 in the soil then reacts with the calcium to form calcium carbonate, which uh, I'm sure you all remember is limestone, or also forms, forms seashells. Just in this case, instead of using clams to form calcium carbonate, they're using Bacillus pasteuri. Of course, as, as I'm reading this article, which I have in front of me, I, I think the bee got this wrong. It, it raises the pH which causes it to precipitate, whereas CO2 dissolved in rainwater causes limestone caverns because it eats away the rock. Hmm. Well, we're going to have to get uh, Dr. DeJong on this program and talk about this. We have been beaten to him by Jeffrey Callison over at uh, Insight, uh, and I would recommend that uh, you check out his interview over at capradio.org slash insight, at least until we can get him on this show. We are uh, just about out of time. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. I'm Douglas Everett. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. 